everybody. My name is Mark Kondrat, and this is the Let's Meet for a Beer podcast. On the podcast, I connect with brewers, distillers, chefs, entrepreneurs, and more. These are people who inspire me and make our community better. I hope you enjoy the conversations. Welcome back to another Let's Meet for a Beer podcast. I'm here with my friend Riley Kay, owner of Cilantro and Chive, locations in Lacombe and in Red Deer here in good old Alberta. What I know of Riley is that he's a pretty good husband. He's a really good dad to three kids. He loves all things Peppa Pig, Curious George, and Paw Patrol related. And he's a sucker for punishment, doing things like opening restaurants during pandemics. Do I have most of that right? Yeah, I watched a few Paw Patrols, a few Peppa Pigs and Curious George in the background. Oh man, I have two girls. So I have road trips are just hearing the snorting of Peppa Pig (laughs) in the back and trying to not go crazy and just realize that it is just a phase and I'll look back at it fondly. So luckily we're well beyond the Peppa Pig phase now. Yeah, my kids like to listen to songs on repeat, so my music selection involves uh, Shake It Off and <laughs> Imagine Dragons, and that's about it. Nice. Yeah, kids like repetition, so once <laughs> they get into something, it's like, here we go. How's it going, man? It's going well, thanks, as much as it can be going well in the middle of yeah. another closure and another lockdown. Totally, yeah. So, before we chat about you know Cilantro and Chive and the, the empire that you're building, I wanted to talk to you, just kind of get a, a sense of, of where you come from. So, born in Tabor. Yeah. Raised in Pincher Creek. Yeah. What are we looking at for populations? Like, I was trying to figure out which would be smaller. I <laughs> <laughs> Like, they're both pretty tiny towns, eh? That is nothing that has ever crossed my mind as yeah. to comparison by any stretch. But growing up in Pincher, there was about 3,500 people. And no matter what you did, mom always found out <laughs> yeah. before you got home. That's hilarious. So, so what was growing up in Pincher Creek like? What did you do as a kid? <laughs> Smoked uh, a lot of dope and hung out at the railroad tracks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've pretty much summed up Pincher. There was a lot of gravel roads and pallet parties and drinking beers. And that was about it, really. Grew up playing hockey, living at the rink. Mom ran the concession. Dad ran the referees and spent a lot of time at the rink during the winter time and a lot of time on dirt roads in the summer. That's cool. So uh, when you were a kid, were you like, aside from, you know, the typical things kids do. So like you said, playing hockey, hanging out with kids and stuff like that. Were you always interested in cooking? Did you always want to be a chef? Was that something that was in the back of your mind growing up? My first real job was washing dishes at a small town restaurant. And I sucked at washing dishes and let's be real, but worked my way up and worked onto the fry side and then pizzas and Typical small town kid thought I knew everything and yeah. the only way out of small town Alberta was to get to the big city or you'd be stuck there. So I went off to school and took the uh, professional cooking program at SAIT way back in 2000 and kind of realized real quickly that I didn't know a single thing <laughs> about it. So I imagine as a young kid working in a restaurant that, I mean, it can either really turn you off of the industry or it can kind of turn you onto the industry. So clearly there was something that turned you onto the industry. What was that? Do you remember that experience as a, as a young kid? Like what was positive about it that made you kind of curious? The camaraderie and the teamwork. Everybody's in the trenches, getting through the service, getting through the day, 
teamwork was really something I looked up to and seeing how older staff work together. And when I say older, I think they were 22, 23 years old. <laughs> but seeing what they did and how they did it and, and the, the passion and the excitement that they had and just looking up to them, I think, was a lot of that aspect of it. Yeah. And I think that's really cool that even as a dishwasher, as a 13-year-old, you felt like you were part of the team. You weren't kind of like alienated over in the corner. <laughs> so, Because I'm guessing that those feelings of, you know, being included, like obviously they, they must resonate as you, you know, kind of create your own business, right? And And that thought of like making sure to include everybody. So... It's cool that those kind of things start at such a young age, right? So you mentioned you went to SATE. Yeah. So SATE to become a, you took professional cooking. Yeah. You also went to RDC, Red Deer College. Yeah. So you studied food and beverage management as well as accommodations and marketing management. So lots of school surrounding kind of the hospitality industry. What was it about school that I guess drew you in? Because that's a lot of school. like. More so than, you know, the typical person that I chat with. With going back to RDC, I I knew a lot about the back of house and and the kitchen and and that aspect and really wanted to try and round my experience and round my knowledge and and getting a little bit more of a grasp on the front and not necessarily pigeonholing myself into the back aspect. But with RDC, I was able to take some, get some previous learning credit through my experience at SAIT. So my course load was rather low. So being able to get the double uh, diploma there took a little bit more, but was definitely worth investing in uh, my time. So that way I had my attention focused on school rather than having a few more spares in that regards. But definitely for myself, I didn't want to be someone who was working in the kitchen because I had to. I wanted to be somebody who was working because I wanted to. There was a lot of people that I've worked with over the years that never took any risks, never took any challenges, just kind of played it safe and 65-year-old guy washing dishes still because he's never done anything else or the 75-year-old line cook who she didn't do anything else so she's still doing what she knows and stuck in her ways and I didn't want to be that person. I wanted to be able to to have some fun and work because I want to versus working because I have to. Right. And so basically when you look at what you took in school, it allowed you to be comfortable back of house and front of house. You kind of wanted that whole like holistic perspective. Absolutely. I was asking you what you liked most about school and I'm trying to get a gauge of if you were being sarcastic or not, but you said school projects. <laughs> and I think there's a grain of truth to that in that when you talk about how you, even as a 13-year-old, viewed it as a, you know, being part of a team and then in school, being forced into school projects, is that the same mentality you're talking about? Is that kind of that teamwork? I personally hate being talked to and taught to. So the hands-on experience, as much as I hate some of them and I despised working with being thrown into groups with, uh, with certain people in, in group projects... It was definitely a better learning experience for me to be able to see it walk through it. Right. Okay. So I want to chat about Slantro and Chive. So when you graduated and you're done school, how long was the timeline from when you graduated to when you started Slantro and Chive? It was a pretty quick turnaround, actually. I I believe you're asking me some really time sensitive questions here, but it was a less than a year or just over a year, but we were looking for a more permanent home for the existing catering operation that we had. And it kind of came out that we did an event for friend of a friend of a friend and they had a restaurant that was empty. So they asked if we wanted to lease the kitchen and 
We said, if you're renting the kitchen, you might as well rent the whole space. And they said, sure. And we said, okay. And jumped two feet into it and opened up a restaurant in less than three months than we were anticipating. So it was a bit of a, just being at the right place at the right time. And the risk was really low for us to be able to get into it. So I think we started with about $8,500 cash in our pocket and jumped two feet in. Wow, that's awesome. Was the first location, the original one, was it in Pinoca? It was, yeah. Okay. I wasn't sure if I was hallucinating that or if that <laughs> was something that we had talked about before. And then, so you moved from Pinoca to Lacombe at some point. Why did you make that move? Our building sold and our lease was coming to an end and we just didn't reach agreeable terms with the new landlord. So we ended up moving and we bought a building that was an old bike store, model train store. It was built in the 1930s and built a kitchen off the back of it, completely renovated it, all new roof, ceiling, insulation, electrical, gas, plumbing, the whole bit, and wanted this to be our, our forever home in that regards. And it took a lot of work and a lot of stress, but we got it to where we're at now. So I guess, why did you choose Lacombe then when you were looking at a new location? To go back on that, when I was working in Calgary, I met a girl and uh, she moved up to Grand Prairie. All for- <laughs> this starts with, I met a girl. So, yeah. Followed her up to Grand Prairie, lived up there for a year and a half, and then she got a job in Lacombe. So we moved down to Lacombe. I think we're coming up on 16 or 17 years ago now. But yeah, we came with a five-year plan. And again, that's quite a few years ago, three kids and several businesses ago. But So we've lived in Lacombe for the last however many years and being in Lacombe to us was a bit more of a priority, being closer to home and being closer to the connections that we've made within the community as well. So Yeah. So with the name Cilantro and Chive, where does it come from? Is it just that you're really passionate about cilantros and chives or is there something <laughs> deeper than that? Well, with the catering side, we had several names when we were starting that up and come back to them two weeks later and that they would really suck and thought they were really great at the time. But cilantro catering stuck and we we rolled with that and trying to name a restaurant in three months and get a concept and an overall theme and idea and everything together it was a really quick turnaround so we wanted something that would remind people of cilantro catering but still somewhat unique and cilantro and chive was one of those ones that we came up with and stuck so that's cool it's funny how sometimes if you have like a name that you're using almost as a placeholder or something like that how over time, it just kind of sounds like it's the right thing. You know what I mean? (laughs) So what was the vision when you first thought of opening up the restaurant in Lacombe? Did you have a vision that you then realized or was it a vision that just kind of evolved over time to become what it was? We definitely had the distant idea of what we wanted to be and and being more more local and supporting the neighbors and, and the community that supports us. And Throughout the time, it's all just been a complete evolution and dirt road as to where we've gotten to today. So we've always had the the idea of what we want to do and, and supporting the community and supporting the people that build our communities and the uh, businesses that build our communities, as well as, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into it, but the burger of the month and being able to give back to that and support the craft beer industry and yeah. local farmers and celebrate what we have in our own backyard. You described the restaurant as grandma's kitchen table. So <laughs> what, is, what does that mean? To me, that's somewhere that you gather, you connect, you, you engage, you let the worries of the world go away. Grandma's always got the big meals prepared no matter what it is. There's always a pie somewhere and just being able to kind of melt into the moment and, and not worry about everything else that's on the go and everything else that's in the world. So 
just being able to be that place of connection for people, for families to reconnect, uh, for grandparents to get together with grandkids. And again, just, just let everything slip away. Yeah. So one of the things that you talked about, and I want to ask you a little bit about is your support of local, I think, because that seems to me like that's really built into the DNA of what you guys are doing. But specifically, I'm just curious, your support of local craft beer, was that something that was right from the beginning? From day one, we wanted to bring something unique and something different. And the Alberta craft beer scene back in 2012 wasn't quite what it was today. And we'd take trips down to Montana and, and see these small craft breweries and and the excitement and the vibe and the feel that was in each one and the unique spaces that they had. And again, just being a communal hub of the, the area and the region. And we really wanted to be able to have that experience with, with our restaurant as well. And we were told off the hop, don't ever get into craft beer. It'll never sell. It'll never sell. And that just kind of lit a little bit more of a fire under me to, to do it more. And we started with three craft breweries. We had Wild Rose, Granville, and Tree Brewing. Slowly brought in some more Alley Cat and some Big Rock products and stuff like that along the way. But small town, Pinoca, Alberta, the uh, Bud Light, the Coors Light, and was still a top sell. And it was a bit of a hard push for us in the first years. Well, and it's interesting because... Yeah, like you were mentioning, you had said that the worst advice that you ever got was don't get into craft beer because it'll <laughs> never sell. But I think, you know, in a lot of ways, I understand what that person is saying in that, you know, when you're in a small town, and I am I am generalizing for sure, but having grown up in Red Deer and, and kind of knowing, you know, at least a segment of the market, the bigger beers just sell easier, yeah. right? And so, you know, you don't have to spend your time explaining what each of the beers is. It's like, okay, they know what this is. They know what that is. And so, you kind of, you know, you don't have to spend as much time with each customer explaining, oh, if you like this, then you'll like this and, and stuff like that. So, it is a harder thing to do. So, why was it important to you then to to do that? Is it Was it just a way of sort of differentiating yourself from other restaurants? Absolutely. We definitely wanted to be something different and we wanted to be able to bring a different experience. And, and that craft beer was part of that experience. Back in 2019, we did a bit of an audit of our time and we came up with a rough estimate that across all of our staff, we spend about 50 hours a week on the craft beer. So whether that's researching beers coming up, engaging with breweries, emails, phone calls, them stopping in, checking out Connect, researching different products. It took, again, communicating that with our staff and sharing that on our Facebook pages. It takes a lot of time. So I can understand why a business would want to just get into Bud and Coors and you know what it is and there isn't that conversation. But for us, it was about creating those conversations with our team and with our our guests and being able to engage with our community as to why we're doing that. Yeah, it's, it's a lot more work without a question, but it's also something that's really important to us. Yeah. We'd have people in the early days that would come in and, and especially in Lacombe, I think it was 2017, we, we got rid of all domestics and we went to nothing but craft. And that was a bit of a hard stretch for myself, getting over that convenience of being able to sell a bud or a kokanee. And it just took a little bit of conversation with somebody who wanted a bud or a kokanee. Well, here's a couple of different options for you. And if you, this is very entry level and very easy drinking and if you want something a little bit more hoppy or a little bit more aggressive, recommend these ones, obviously on a very lower end scale. And if you don't like it, we'll buy it for you. And we never bought one, actually. They they all enjoyed getting into the into the loggers and yeah. 
nine times out of 10, people would come back in a week or two weeks and go, hey, you recommended this other one. What was that? And it was really exciting to see their experience evolve. And some people that would never drink more than Bud are now on to Blind Man Long Shadows. And it's like, wow, that's an extreme jump. So. Yeah, that's cool. So I guess now when you look at, so you're talking 2012 when you were first kind of introducing craft beer. And then obviously we're almost 10 years from that. And the craft beer community in Alberta is like, I mean, it's not even recognizable <laughs> from what it was then, obviously. What's your, how do you strategize what beers to bring in now? Because I mean, there's obviously more options out there than, than is realistic for you to carry. Well, when you talk about that, I mean, pre-pandemic, I think we were up to about 220 bottles and cans in Lacombe and we're kind of shooting for about 150 bottles and cans here in Red Deer with uh, the 22 taps that we have on the go. So yeah, there's a lot out there that we do bring in. There's a lot more that we'd like to bring in. Price point, marketing, product, quality, it, it all plays a factor into it. But yeah. there's so much more we wish we could bring in, but shelf space really limits that. Oh, 100%. So now craft beer obviously is is big, but there's nowadays there's a lot of options for craft spirits and craft cider locally as well do you have plans or are you currently working with those guys absolutely one of our managers in lacombe danica has really taken a lead on that and she's really pushing for trying different products and, and bringing in different craft spirits and we're looking at the summer of 2022 is moving our entire back bar to nothing but craft as well too we know that that's a bit of a lofty goal. There's going to be a few different spirits and liqueurs that we're not going to be able to, but without a target, you can't really hit it. So. That's true. One of the other things you were mentioning is supporting local farmers and producers. So just kind of give me an example of how you are able to do that. We change up our menu every uh, three months. So every four times a year, we've got different products and different menu items hitting our menu. So We've been able to use brown eggs and lamb for quite some time. Our potatoes are all hand cut in-house from Schooling's Produce just north of Lacombe. MSW Bison Longhorn and Elk. A lot of local greenhouses, local producers as well. Obviously within the seasons of a, that we have here in Alberta can be a bit of a challenge. But some of them are just on our menu for a short period of time. Some of them make a bigger impact. But again, we just want to be able to celebrate and showcase who those suppliers are and what they do. They do such a great job behind the scenes and asking them to share their social media or what their brand is. And it's, it's a bit of a challenge for some of them because they're just so hands-on and totally and in it. And they don't understand why somebody would want to see the back end of their farm or yeah. see a picture of a cow. But our guests really connect to that as well, which is fun. Well, and it's, it's funny because again, it seems like more work than you need to put into it, but you know, similar to your strategy with, with the craft beer and stuff like that. But I think that kind of gives you guys some authenticity in terms of like, you know, when people think of you, they realize the amount of work that, that goes into, you know, your food program and your beverage program. Well, these people are like, I've said it a million times, but these people are, are our neighbors. They're the ones that are giving back to our community. They're the ones that are paying taxes in the county and in the city and, and sitting on our boards of our organizations and supporting our communities. Our kids are going to the same school. It only makes sense to be able to work with people that are in our backyard. Yeah, it's a lot easier to just click a couple buttons and have Cisco or BDL drop off every week and away you go. It takes a little bit more work, but to us, that's those connections and those friendships are really important to us. No, absolutely. So one of the things 
You've won Restaurant of the Year from the Alberta Small Brewers Association twice, right? Three times. Three yeah. times. Not, not that I'm counting. I got to fire my researcher. <laughs> so, what is it about you guys, Cilantro and Chive, that resonates with people? Because that is obviously pretty impressive. Yeah, to be named from Alberta Small Brewers Association three times is is absolutely crazy. I mean, it's it's phenomenal that our peers and, and the ones that we look up to think so highly of us. But honestly, man, I, I don't know why people look up to us and, and what we do other than we just continue to do it each and every day. Our staff are, are absolutely amazing. They they work together and they throughout this entire pandemic, they've just completely stepped up. They don't ask why. They just go get in and, and get going and, and go, how can I help? What can I do? Not why is this happening to us? Or yeah. why are why are we doing this and nobody else is there? They're just in it for for that genuine connection with our guests and creating that experience. And it's absolutely phenomenal as a business owner to see that happen. Absolutely. You mentioned obviously the pandemic. So what has the <laughs> last year been like for you in terms of, you know, dealing with the challenges of obviously staff because when you're when you're in a small town and you have you know you're close with your staff right staff do become like family so with the last year being challenging what's it been like for you oh it's the highest of highs and the lowest of lows with again laying everybody off twice not knowing what's coming down the pipe in the future seeing the challenges that have gone through there, our, our team's eyes and, and what they're facing and the uncertainty, the challenges of being able to get product and supplies and takeout boxes and sanitizer and soap and trying to hit five, six different suppliers to try and make that happen, switching our entire business from dine-in to online. It's It's been in a complete emotional roller coaster. Uh, Facebook memories have been popping up here over the last little while and like, yeah, that sucked, but I didn't realize it sucked that bad. And I yeah. I don't know if I've just blocked some of it out of my mind and out of my memory to try and get on with it. But yeah, it's been a challenge. Yeah. So, and despite that, <laughs> you decided that you were going to open up another restaurant. So, you now have a second location of Cilantro and Chive in Red Deer. And I've seen that a couple times with different restaurant owners. I was talking to a friend of mine in Calgary that that did the same thing. Why? Like, <laughs> like, I mean, I don't know how to say that. Like, because you must see, despite the challenges, there's a silver lining or there's an opportunity or something. You see something that maybe not everybody is seeing. Or are you just a <laughs> sucker for punishment? Very or? much a sucker <laughs> for punishment, for sure. But we have some of our team that were kind of reaching their their ceiling with the ability that and the opportunities that we had in Lacombe. With guests already coming from Red Deer, it made a lot of sense for us to look outside of Lacombe to be able to expand our brand and being able to offer more hours and, and more opportunity for our team as well was huge for us. We do want to be in a few other communities down the road. And with being in Red Deer, it gave us an opportunity to come in with, again, a risk for sure, but a fairly low risk because we're still relatively close with a half an hour drive. And as much as opening a restaurant in the middle of a pandemic is 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 the dumbest idea that I've ever had, we've been able to shift some of our existing staff from Lacombe to Red Deer, give them a few extra hours and try and help support them in the best way we can. So we've been able to expand our team, expand our management. And it's honestly been a really good time because we've been able to get some really awesome people who want to be a part of what we're doing. Yeah. 
It's cool. And uh, like I said, my family's here, so I get to eat at Cilantro Drive without having to go to Lacombe. But speaking of Lacombe, like what I love about that as a town is it appears to be quite a vibrant town. Like I, I do drive through Alberta. I do a lot of road trips. There are a lot of towns in Alberta, sadly, that are, you can just feel that the spirit of the town is fading. You don't get that sense when you go through Lacombe, like the downtown looks vibrant. There are cool restaurants. So what is it about Lacombe that has attracted people? Lacombe is is a really visibly attractive community. The historic buildings downtown, the historic homes, the green space, the parks, the recreation, the paths. It's it's a really awesome place to be. I was a four-year-old kicking and screaming. I did not want to move to Lacombe. It was too small town when we moved there. But now with a family, it's a very comforting, welcoming community. For being almost 13,000, there's still a lot of people that recognize and Kids go to schools and, and meet other people, and we meet those families as well. It's a, it's a really cohesive and, and caring community. It's been on the top five, I think, of the list of most philanthropic. Yeah, no, yeah, you're, yeah, you're you, good. Do you want to edit that out no, a little no, bit? We'll I don't little, at all because we'll I want to try to philanthropic. There you go, yeah. that word. Yeah, That's it's uh, uh, not an easy word to use. Philanthropic. Anyway, yeah, no, it's it's a really caring, really giving community, and it's a really supportive community as well, too. So it was funny. I remember running into you once at Blind Man Brewing. I was like, "Oh yeah, me and Trevor are just gonna actually hit up Cilantro and Chive for supper, and then we're gonna head up to Edmonton." And you're like, "Oh, do you have a reservation?" And I was just like, "I think he's fucking with me." But <laughs> but the thing is, is because you don't think of small towns as being like you know, oh, you need to get a reservation at the restaurant, so. I thought that was just so cool. Like, I'm like, this is awesome that that in this small town, you know, people are supporting their restaurants. The the restaurants are progressive, like, you know, like you're you're doing new things. So, yeah, I, I just always thought that was really, really cool. While we're on the topic of challenges, another challenge that you mentioned was you said, the restaurant industry is badly broken across North America. We can't change an entire industry, but we can change how we do business. So I wanted to ask you, what is it about the industry in your mind that's badly broken? It's an industry of excess. It's an industry of excessive food, ex- industry of excessive dollar spend. It's an industry of excessive over-sexualization. It's, but the root of what the industry is, is that hospitality and is that connection and is that engagement and that relationship with the guest. And somewhere along the line, it it has devolved into, into what it is. And, and it's not 100% of the industry for sure. But what we can do within our four walls is, is bring it back to that emotional connection and that emotional engagement with our guests and with our team. And it's really all about that experience. It's not about the physical, the mental, the sexual abuse that goes on. It's about making sure that our team is looked after. We're not expecting people to pull 10-hour days on their feet and rocking out and, and going at it. Our team gets weekends off, which some of our new team that join us feel kind of slighted that they're getting a weekend off. That they're Why are you giving me a weekend off? I have to work every weekend. And it's it's not about that. It's not about giving it a, your all for for the business. It's about making sure that you can recharge and reconnect afterwards. We offer benefits to our team, which isn't a, a thing in the industry. So we want to make sure that they're able to connect. Pre-pandemic, obviously, we'd close three times a year and get our staff out. And whether it was a staff Christmas party or just a backyard or a hot dog roast with bouncy castles and bring out your family and have some fun. So 
we've been able to connect with a few other restaurant owners and businesses that are very concerned about their team and concerned about the mental state. And it's been really a really big recharge for us to be able to have those conversations with those business owners too. That's cool. So day to day, what brings you the most joy? So when you when you get up and you know you have to come to work, because I know there's a lot of stresses, but what is it that you look most forward to? You know what? Seeing people enjoying the meals, the, their faces, their connection, their engagement, having some fun. And again, that grandma's kitchen table of them getting their stresses, leaving them, seeing our staff, just their personalities, their growth, seeing them work from from the dish area up to prep to to the line, to taking over supervisory positions, for them going off to culinary school as well too. Our team is absolutely phenomenal walking in here in Red Deer and the music's cranked and everybody's got, you can see the smiles in their eyes through their masks. And to me, that just gets me going as well too. Everybody, it's not a somber occasion, especially during the middle of a pandemic and another closure, but they're just jacked to be here and be in everybody else's presence and giving it their all. So it really gets me going as well too. Have you found that to be a challenge in terms of, because you guys created a culture in Lacombe with your with your business, and then oftentimes when you try to replicate that somewhere else, there it falls flat somehow. So have you found it to be a challenge to replicate it? And especially now you're juggling your energy between two businesses. You know what? Having some great support from our management is absolutely huge and making sure that our management are the right people for the right position as well too. And Ivor and Mel here in Red Deer, Ryan and Maisie in the kitchen have just They've been able to to take that and run with it. And it's been absolutely phenomenal from what Jason and Danica and Mike have given in, in Lacombe and been able to put their fingerprint on what's going here in Red Deer as well. And there's so many things that I'm a bit of a control freak to some extent and being able to give the reins to somebody I, I really don't know, but feel like I do after only two months of them working with us and working alongside. It's a bit of a challenge for sure, but seeing some of the ideas and the creativity that they've had has been absolutely phenomenal and, and gets me jacked and excited for it. Absolutely. So, okay. Some random questions here. Maybe <laughs> I asked you what your favorite book was. And yep. again, I don't know if you're just messing with me, but you said hamburger heaven, which I had to Google. And according to my research, that appears to be a kid's book. <laughs> Am I, did I get the right one? Yeah, I don't read a lot of adult books. Okay. It, there's a lot of uh, child reading, but Hamburger Heaven is is a book that I got to read to a kindergarten class uh, a few years ago. Lori McIntosh, and she hates me talking about this because I put my spin on it that uh, it's all her, but she invited me to come read a storybook to her kindergarten class and read this book called Hamburger Heaven and it's about Pinky Pig and her hours are getting cut at this restaurant. So she creates this new menu, builds up hype and they sell out and it's a big hit. So afterwards though, these kids got this piece of paper with a bottom burger bun and a top burger bun and they got to put whatever they wanted on this burger. And it was, it was stressing me out to some extent, but seeing some of the things that they were putting on was kind of made it a little bit more peaceful going, these kids are just doing what they want to do and creating what they want to create. And it doesn't have to fall into a structure or an organization. And there was one kid who had, I think he had mud and ice cream on there and Another kid had Chinese food and big gummy bear. And it was really quite freeing to just see these kids do whatever they wanted to do at age four and five and trying to understand their mindset. So she gave me this book of all these pictures that these kids had created afterwards. And I'm sitting there having a cup of coffee around 
I think it was 9.30 or 10 o'clock or just before my shift in Lacombe and looking through and some of these ideas weren't all that bad. So <laughs> we took a couple of burgers and melded them together and tried it and yeah, it worked out pretty good. So we went back to the kids and said, we're going to put this on our menu just on a whim for the month of February and we're going to give $2 from every burger sold to a charity organization of their choice. And the four and five-year-old kids came up with three organizations, narrowed it down to the food bank and they raised money and collected dry goods and marched it over at the end of February. And we gave them a donation to the food bank. And it was just really cool to see our guests trying something different and unique and our team creating some different ideas. And we just started rolling with it from there. And or I think we're 50 months or 50 burgers, something like that, into it now. We've been able to give over $75,000 all because of our guests coming in and buying burgers and, and their support. We've got to meet amazing people behind the scenes that are working hard in these charities and organizations that thankfully I have no idea that they were in our backyard because I've never had to use them. But knowing that they're there and able to support our community is is really heartwarming. And we've had some that have just broken down into tears and their organization's kind of on the brink and not being able to raise funds and it just gets them through it. And the exposure for some have been absolutely huge. So to me, it's Pinky Pig and uh, the Hamburger Heaven is, is a book that has kind of dictated where we've gone over the last four years. That's really cool, man. I always ask people this, but I rarely chat about it. Least favorite word, <laughs> but you seem pretty adamant that you hate the words foodie and special. So what do you hate about the word foodie? You're putting me on the spot recorded here too. Foodie is is a bit of an entitlement word. Okay. The core of it is is an awesome like I appreciate people who are passionate about food and but people who claim to be foodies, not as a broad stroke of the word or stroke right. of the entire population, but a lot of them have some very unattainable ideas as to what things should and shouldn't be. I hate the word special as well, too. We use it more of a extreme swear word in, in our establishment. Uh, we don't have specials. We have features. We're not trying to put anything on special. We're featuring what we do. Right, right. We're not selling ourselves short. And in the last year, I absolutely hate the word pivot. I'm so done with that yeah, word as I well, too. I stopped using that. Yeah, I agree with you. So in your, like you've been in the food industry a long time now, when you think of the requests that people make, like it has gotten crazy. Like I think about when I was a kid, like if you were to ever ask for, you know, something gluten-free, they'd look at you like you had five heads. But then the amount of kind of niche kind of issues that people have and that they're expecting restaurants to kind of cater to, it's like, I can't imagine it could get much crazier than it is now. How do you guys kind of react to that? It's all very personal to the person and to the experience as well. We have, like I said, with our menu, we, we change it up every four months. We don't want to put a vegetarian item on that's good for a vegetarian item. It has to be good and a vegetarian item. Our gluten-free items, no different. It has to be good and gluten-free. It can't just be like, oh, that's okay for gluten-free. Right. Because I'm a meat eater. I'm not allergic to anything. I I want what I want and I... I don't want to be like, yeah, that was all right. It's It's got to be good. So no yeah. matter who reaches for it or what the item is, it's it's got to play into a high level. So yeah, there is quite a few requests that, you know what? Yeah, absolutely. You want something modified that we can do? That's not a problem. Might take a little bit longer, might cost a little bit more, but we'll absolutely do that. But yeah. some of the requests, 
we are who we are. We are what we are. It's you're not going to McDonald's and asking for a fresh burger or or something along those lines because that's just not what they do. Right. And at the end of the day, we all have to be respectful of of boundaries and sometimes saying no can be a little bit of a personal attack for some people that becomes a bit of a challenge. Yeah, no, I I agree. Okay, so I do have to apologize because, again, during my research, I found out that you own Moe's Pizza, which I didn't realize in <laughs> yep. Lacombe. And I do follow them on Instagram. I thought, damn, I got to stop there at one point. So how does Moe's fit into kind of your empire that you're building? <laughs> you know what? We talk about comfort food and what we do here and, and putting our own unique twist on it and cilantro and chive. And what's more comfort food than pizza? Uh, it's It's, again grandma's kitchen table you're not coming to our table but whether that table's the pickup truck as you're driving down the highway in a wheat field during harvest or or around the coffee table in in your living room and again we just want to do things and have some fun and and put our own twist on it we've got a new menu dropping here soon it's been in the works for far too long but we do some jacked up milkshakes over there too. put our own twist on pizzas and again just kind of having fun with comfort food yeah absolutely now I'm absolutely putting you on the spot. So <laughs> you come into your restaurant, Cilantro and Chive. What is your go-to? My go-to? Yeah. Like, are we talking beer? Are we talking food? Are we talking... Uh, no, I'll just say food. I'm such a mood-dependent person. Yeah. Right now we've got mac and cheese balls, deep-fried balls on our menu, which are phenomenal. Just grab a few of those. Our bison burger is one of the things that have been on our menu since the day we opened working with MSW that's always a classic in that regards the duck wings we've had for years as well but our culinary team comes up with some really awesome creations and some really awesome features throughout the week and it's a hard choice sometimes for sure so if it's mood dependent when your staff sees you eating certain things they're like oh avoid <laughs> avoid him he's eating deep fried mac and cheese do not talk to riley when he's eating deep fried mac and cheese usually when i tell our staff to just order me something they pick up that i'm getting a little hangry and i just need something in my yeah. mouth rather quickly so yeah so outside of work what is your next you know because the last year has been crazy so you're going to need to do something non-work related what is kind of the non-work related adventure that you're looking forward to and follow-up question to that does it involve a 1984 motorhome <laughs> absolutely it involves a 1984 <laughs> motorhome we bought that last year as a family and just being able to get out even for a night here a night there we've taken it on a, a little bit of a provincial road trip and found out that not everything was working quite as well as it should have been but yeah. thankfully it broke down just outside of a brewery so we're able to have a couple beers and silver lining yeah, right there absolutely the kids love it they have a lot of fun in it so that's awesome well thanks for sharing your story it's been fun just from an outsider's perspective kind of watching you grow and succeed and yeah you bring a lot of passion to the industry so it's just really cool to see people like you do well so thanks for uh doing what you do thank you in all honesty as much as i want to take credit for it but we couldn't do it without the awesome team that we have behind us my wife at home and in the office too and doing what she does it's not me it's it's an entire team that makes this happen and we're pretty proud to have them awesome man thanks dude thanks for coming out okay. i appreciate it yeah no worries thank you Hey everyone, I just wanted to thank you for listening to the Let's Meet for a Beer podcast. If you enjoy the conversations, please rate us where you download your podcasts and share with your friends. For more information on the projects our team is working on, please visit letsmeetforabeer.com. Be sure to join us next week for a new conversation and have an awesome day. Awesome.